Hello everybody. It's been a crazy week, right? We have shutdowns again. Everybody's angry. People are tired. There's frustration. There's still people rioting, still people doing things that are, are just kind of frustrating to watch on the news. So the church opens, some churches are closing, some people are, are frustrated at the governor, some people their city, some people are mad at the president. There's just all this kind of frustration and anger in the world. And sometimes everyone starts to express their feelings and they start getting mad and everyone has an opinion on what to do and people can't figure out what their opinion should be and others are just trying to kind of press in on people and trying to get them to do certain things. And there's a lot of fear and concern out there and everyone has an opinion. And that's kind of where we're finding everybody today, a world of opinion. And I remember, it reminds me of a time when I served on jury duty. I, I'd never been on jury duty before, and so I was kind of excited to see what jury duty was all about. And so I went down there, and there's a lot of people, and you get all selected, and then there's a jury of your peers. And we had this case, and this case was about a lady who had hit a guy, going just a, accidentally ran a stop sign, hit a guy, and unfortunately he died. And this jury was going to decide whether it, where she was going to be prosecuted for uh, what they call vehicular manslaughter misdemeanor. It's a serious enough crime that could get you some time, but, um, but we were there just to make sure whether she did it or not. And so we had all this different group of people coming together, and they're all stressed out, and it's a very complicated situation, and everybody, all 12 people, had a, an opinion. Unfortunately, I had to be the juror or the foreman, uh, not a job I would recommend on, on, if, you're, if you're looking to not be stressed out because uh, you have to deal with all these opinions. We had one lady, she was upset because she had a bad experience with cops and she was like, I am not listening to anything that cop said because one time a cop did something to me. Another person says, I always listen to cops because they are here to protect us and people are fighting and then other people are just like, what time is it? Other people were just hungry and it was right before lunch and they were like, can we just clear this up so I can go to lunch? And all along there are these lives that are, this person's life is involved and this person's you know, entire livelihood could be on the line, could have prison time. It's a serious thing and everybody's stressed out and I think sometimes all this stress just brings out all these different emotions in people and then opinions start flying and things start going. And I think it's just a good window into how oftentimes when things get stressful and opinions get shared, everybody gets stressed out, we have a hard time knowing what should we do. What should we do? So we live in a world where right now, uh, when you used to want to share your opinion, you know, maybe jury duty, you had to be in group of 12, but it used to be that you had to go out and actually convince people that, of your opinion. You, maybe you just kept talking to your neighbors and your, your church people and the people that you're surrounded with. But lo and behold, we live in a day where anybody can talk to anyone. We have a 24-hour news cycle. We have, uh, uh, we can Twitter, we can tweet with someone around the world. We can talk, we can look at our camera, we can look at our phone, and we can take pictures anywhere at any time and let everybody know what's going on in our lives. And at no, more, at no point in time has anyone had the right to share their opinion as much as we do now with everybody. So in a world where sometimes that could be really good and sometimes that gets really bad when things get stressed, it's hard to know what to do when pressure starts hitting. When all those opinions start feeling like a court system and you start feeling like you're the one on trial. When it starts pressing in on you and you have to hear everybody's opinion and you have a strong opinion and who do I convince and who do I go to and who do I talk to? What do we do when we start to feel like our life and the things that we do with our lives are being put in this pressure and everyone has an opinion about what we do? Especially if you're a Christian. What's the Christian to do when the world is going crazy and they're pressing in and you feel like your livelihood and your life is on the line? So there's oftentimes, when you look at our culture, you can take some observations and just a few times, a few things I think people really do when they, 
interact that you often see when you watch when you're online or when you're watching two people on a news program go back and forth. There's often just there's three reactions that typically come up. The first one is we, I just fight fire with fire. Someone's attacking me for my opinion, I attack them back with my with, the, with my opinion. They're they're on me, I'm on them. Anytime they say something, I say something back. And that's one approach. Another approach is that people often just want to stop this chaos. They don't like the conflict. They just want to be at peace with everybody. So they start saying like, yeah, yeah, that sounds like a great idea, just to calm everybody down. They're people pleasers. And others start hearing all this chatter, all this argument, and they just, I don't know, God, I just, I'm just going to tune it out. I, I have no idea what to do. So I'm done. I'm just kind of, I'm apathetic to the situation. I'm leaving. And those are typical human responses. Sometimes you might have had one, you might have had all three in just today. Uh, and it's easy to go back and forth between these things. And it's hard to figure out as Christians, what are we supposed to do? What, how are we supposed to navigate that? And so today I wanted to dive into the scriptures and kind of look at that and kind of just look and see what, what, what has been done in the past and how Paul probably dealt with this when he was placed before his court of public opinion. So we'll pick it back up here. Last week, Greg preached and I'm going to, if you have your Bible, go grab your Bible off the shelf. Uh, I want to actually kind of look through it and turn to a Acts chapter 24. We're going to back up and cover a little bit of next week, and then we're going to actually talk about 25 and 26. So I want you to keep your finger there and just kind of go through with me as we jump around. It's actually a good time to kind of feel like you're with your family, gather a Bible, and just kind of, kind of casually look through the scriptures with me. So last week, Greg preached on Paul and that trial that he went through. And in, in Acts 24... We're here in verse 5 and 8. So, we have, so this is what was accused, Paul was accused of. He was brought before the trial because he's made some people awfully upset. This poor little short bald man who walks around the country and has been beaten up probably has like a limp leg. There's, a lot of, there's only like one description of Paul and he had like a limp leg. They said he had like a unibrow. And this short little guy is coming out and he's causing a riot. And so here in Acts 24, here we see this poor little guy being dragged out and here's what he's being accused of. It says, For we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world, and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. And by examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him everything for which he is accused, we have accused him of. So here's this poor little guy. He's, for some reason, he's been able to figure out a way to tick everybody off. And here's this guy, and Paul's sitting there in this trial, having done no crime, having been accused of, uh, and actually being assaulted by the Sanhedrin last week, having been falsely accused and being def of defiling the temple, a temple that he spent his life sacrificing for, falsely accused of misrepresenting the God that he serves, hated by his own people. Think about that. This man spent his whole life trying to be a good Jewish man who, who loved the Lord and tried to, it was really zealous and really loved his people and really, really had a, was serious about it. And now his people want to kill him. Imagine what that must have felt like to feel like your people think of you as a traitor. And now he's accused of being an agitator, someone who's causing and stirring up all this riot. And that's not going to go over well with Rome. A lot of times there were these riots and they were considered like terrorists. You're trying to to come, you're trying to cause riots, you're trying to break down our system, and that's not going to go over well with Rome. And so all these things Paul has been accused of, and it starts to sound familiar, it starts to sound like our day, we start to sound like all this stuff is coming down, and so what if it lands on us? What is the church supposed to do? What are you doing? And you start to feel maybe what Paul might have been feeling. And so all this stuff has come up just last week, and, and so last week we found out that Felix, 
who was the, was the procurator, the governor at that time, he decided that to put him under house arrest because there was no charge that they could stick on him. And so, so he puts him under house arrest and Paul continues to talk with him and Paul's still talking with him. And Paul decides while he's under house arrest, he's just going to continue to talk about the Lord with, with, with Felix. And so Felix is talking to him. He's trying to get a bribe out of him. And at one point, he's, he's trying to actually trying to get him to bribe. And he, his wife comes and visits him. And, he, and Paul whispers to her. And he's thinking, yeah, yeah, I'll keep talking to you. And you'll give me money. And I'll let you out. And he's like, nope, that never happened. Paul's consistent. And he's staying on, on focused on the word. And so Felix just gets done with him. And after two years, Felix is done. And he's no longer the governor. And this new governor comes in. And this new governor, he... He's trying to make his rounds. He's not, he's not been there as long as Felix. And he goes up to Jerusalem, and it's two years later. Two years later, and this new governor is going up to Jerusalem to, to visit with them. And guess what? He runs into the same group, and they still are angry at Paul. Two years later, two years of fuel, fuel years of anger, two years of frustration about this one little guy that they pull out. And they're not done. They want him to come down there, and they want to try him in Jerusalem. But Festus doesn't really know what's going on, so he's like, okay, come on up. I'll, I'll, you can accuse him to his face. And, 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 you, and that is typically our custom is that you come up when you have someone and you're mad at them, you accuse them to your face. And so he asks them to come up, and they start all over again. And two years later, Paul is right back in the same situation. He's right back in the same trial, the same group of people that are there, and it's, it's just a different governor. And so things go, we're right back here. We're picking it up in verse 25, verse 16. And as you look in verse 16, jump down to verse 16. And it says, I answered them, and it was not the custom of Rome to be given up before the, the accused, and to meet their accuser face to face and have the opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. So he's like, oh, this is kind of weird. I just want you to come up and lay your charge to him face to face, and then that's what's going to happen. And so Paul does, and he answers each one of their questions. He goes, they go before him, and they have the whole trial over again. And Paul lays out the same evidence that he did a couple years back. And it's all over again. And you have, and you have this repeat trial and trial again and again and again and I can imagine just being frustrated always being falsely accused but that's not Paul's reaction how does Paul answer them does he yell no he just answers them with the truth in verse 8 he gives a defense for all their accusations one by one not an offense he doesn't yell back he gives a defense and he just simply says that's not the facts now, this new governor, Festus, he wants, he wants to do a favor to the Jews. After all these accusations come before him, he says, you know what? Um, you know, why don't you, Paul, uh, why don't you go down to Jerusalem? That'll go well, because it went well for Jesus. But Paul doesn't take the bait. He's like, no, no, I've answered each of these calmly. I haven't done any crimes. And so, therefore, because I'm a Roman citizen, if I'm going to continue to be tried, I want to go to Rome. And so Festus is stuck. He doesn't have anything on Paul. And now what is he going to do? Well, he says, okay, fine. If you want to go see Caesar, go see Caesar. I can't stop you. That, that's the right of a Roman citizen. And so that's where he finds himself. And now we're uh, through this whole trial process again. And now Paul is going to go off and have another trial. And still, no charges, nothing. And Festus is frustrated. He doesn't know what to do. He's not a Jew. He doesn't know the customs, and he's new to the job, and he really wants to please Rome, but he doesn't have anything to write to Rome. He has no report. It's like, uh, yeah, uh, Caesar, there's a guy here and stuff, and 
we, he didn't really do anything, but we, nobody likes him. So can you do something, I guess? That's probably not gonna go over too well. There's no charges, this is a court case. But people don't like this guy, he's annoying. And so we don't like, they don't like what he says, so we'll, you, you take care of it. So he doesn't wanna do that. He, he needs to find something to do. And so he tries to find an expert, and he goes to a guy named, uh, he goes to a guy by the name of Agrippa II. Now, Agrippa II was, was in the line of Herod. And if you know anything about Herod's line, they don't have a positive relationship with Christians and with the children of God. Uh, they were appointed by Rome, who, who had occupied the area. They were, we were, they were occupying the area to be the king. So he's a Jew, and, he, and they made him the king. They didn't appoint him the king, and oftentimes this line has had a really rocky start. Well, Herod the Great, his great-grandfather, Agrippa's great-grandfather, tried to kill the baby Jesus. He's the one that killed all the two-year-old babies. His grandfather cut the head off of John the Baptist. And his father just killed the Apostle James, beheaded him. And so now Agrippa's here, and he's in charge, and now he's going to be before Paul, and he wants to know what's going on. He's, he's jumped into the text, and he wants to say, like, okay, I think I can help you. Let's see if I can jump in. And now Paul has to be dragged before another guy who he's, who's had a history, whose family's had a history of hating, hating Christians and, and hating the believers. And so Paul's just sitting here going, okay, again with the trial, again with this other stuff, again with all this pressure, and I haven't done anything wrong. And so that's where we find him here. And it's funny because for me, I don't know about you, but for me, if I'm sitting in that courtroom and I'm feeling like the whole world is coming against me, and I'm a Christian and people are mad and the, the, the people are not Christians and the, and the whole country's gone against me and my own belief has gone against me and the church has gone against me and everything is coming against me. It's real easy to just be like, I don't know what to do, God. I just give up. And it, I, don't, I don't know what to focus on. I don't know where I'm going. I, I, I'm just frustrated, God. And maybe you're at that apathy point. And maybe you're just frustrated and you're just like, oh man, I have people telling me one thing online. I've got my kids, I've got the church. Lord, where do I put my focus? I don't know how to deal with this court of public opinion. Everybody is, is mad and upset with me. And I think Paul could have been like this guy here, God, he's killed, his family kills Christians. He's killed, he tried to kill Jesus. And I think there's something we can see in this text that I think that's it's interesting about Paul that I don't quite understand. I, I can't quite grasp why Paul would make this decision. So finally, after all these accusations and all these things, and Paul's had very little dialogue, he's going to speak. He's going to get up and he's going to talk. And so we follow along in verse uh, 26, and we are here in Chapman, verse 2. And here's what the first thing he says is, I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, that I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and the controversies of the Jews. Therefore, you know, I beg you to just listen to me patiently. Wait, that is a weird reaction. What, listen to me patiently? This guy killed you. You're being accused of the, by, these, by your own people. And his response is, hey, I'm so glad that I have an opportunity to tell you what my story. I'm so glad I have an opportunity to tell you. I'm glad it's you. He's supposed to hate this guy, but not, that's not his response. 
His response is joy. I don't think he's faking. I don't think he's trying to butter him up. I think he's legitimately excited that he has an opportunity to do something and to tell him his story. And he asks, look, I'm going to go along. I'm going to go a long time in the story. Just be a little patient with me, okay? And so Paul says that he sees an opportunity here and he takes it. And so we're going to pick it up here. He says right here in verse 4, In a manner of my life from my youth I spent from the beginning among my nation and in Jerusalem, and known by all these Jews that they have known me for a long time, and they were will willing to testify in accordance with the strictest party of the religion that I lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain as the earnest worship night and day, as they earnestly worship night and day, and as for, his, for this hope, I am accused by these Jews, O king. And he's sitting here telling you, look, king, I loved my people. When I was young, I, used, I wanted to serve my people. I wanted to please them. I wanted them to like me. I wanted to do well. And it's just like, as I got older, I was in Jerusalem. I wanted to be a part of my community. I wanted to be a part of my culture. I wanted to do well. I wanted to please them too, Lord, uh, king. I, I, and then as I got older, I wanted to be a, a good member of my society. I wanted to be not just go to church. I wanted to be a good member of my party. I wanted to go on. I wanted to be a good member of my congregation. I wanted to be the best. I wanted to be a Pharisee. And I was trying to please all these people. And I thought I was doing the right thing. And I was yelling and I was screaming and I was doing all these things. And that was my life. But then God came along. And that's when I started to change his focus. That's when he starts to change his focus. And he says something really interesting. See, Paul's not, you can tell Paul isn't really here trying to butter him up because he actually knows something about Agrippa here. And in verse 9, in, in verse 8, he says, O king, why is it incredible to you uh, that any, any of you should believe that God, it says, any of you that God raises the dead? He so why, why would you think it would be odd, king, that people get raised from the dead? You see, he knew that this guy, that was his hang-up. He knew that, like, he had probably heard the stories. He probably knew that what the Agrippa family was. A lot of people didn't believe in the resurrection. And Paul says, why do you think it's hard for God to raise a man from the dead? Why do you think that? He knew enough about that guy. He didn't just try to butter him up. He was trying, he was concerned for this man's salvation. And, and I think that's a weird approach. It's supposed to be his enemies. But that's not what Paul says. And I think it's, it's weird. Well, how do we get in the spirit of Paul? Well, Paul knew God and God talked to him. So he had a special relationship. He knew what was going on. So, you know, for us, we don't know that stuff. Well, I don't know if we do because we do have God and we do have the word of God. He didn't have the Bible, but we do. But he, he's not just going to sit there and talk about like, oh, you need Jesus and I serve Jesus. He's going to go into his personal testimony. In verse 9, he says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do the same thing by opposing the name of Jesus and Nazareth. He goes, look, look. It's not just that I love God and that, you know, I think you need God and, and that he, he did rise from the dead. I also was in your situation, King. I, I used to persecute people. He says, I used to drag them out. And the chief priest gave me a letter and I, I tried to put them to death. I cast a vote against them. I punished them in the synagogues. I tried to make them blaspheme. I was raging with fury against them and I persecuted them even in the foreign cities. I was so mad. I was so mad that I thought I was right. And I wanted to do that. And I was going out of my way to, I need to, this is what God wants me to do. This is the right thing to do. And he was crushing people and hurting people and all this stuff was going on. He goes, I know what it's like to fight against God and to, to have that. And, and I don't want you to see that. That's my life. So I get it. I get that you don't believe in Jesus. But then he turns it around. 
He said, something happened to me that changed my perspective. When I was fighting all these people and I was mad and I was zealous for doing what was good, I was walking on this journey to Damascus. And in verse 13, it says, and in, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, bright than, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And we, when we had fallen on the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in a Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You see, sometimes when we fight against people and we think we're being zealous and we think we're doing all these things, it's not people that we're fighting against, it's God. And this is what happens when we think we're doing all these things, we're fighting for God and then God shows up and he's like, what are you doing? I came to bring peace and love and I came to bring people away from their sins. You need to be reconciling people to me. And Paul gets hit in the face and he says, whoa, what am I doing? God, God, who are you? And God says, I am the one that you're persecuting. And when we fight other people, when we attack other people, and when we don't seek to reconcile people as Paul is doing right there, trying to bring King Agrippa into the kingdom of God, that's what we're doing. We're fighting not against those people, we're fighting against God. And I think that's the thing that he knew. So you look here in Ephesians and it says that this is what Paul knew. This was the key for Paul to be able to stand there and take all this pressure, to get all the hits, to take all the lies, because he had one singular focus here in Ephesians. He knew that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Be strong in the Lord, he said, and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may stand against the foes and the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. He says, yeah, we're supposed to fight. And I was a fighter and fighting is not that bad. Trying to make people feel good is not that bad. Trying to be apathetic to sin and certain things is not that bad. But all of that doesn't mean anything if you don't understand the fight that you're in. And I think that's where we go, we go off. I think that's where we go along. We think we need to fight. We get out in front of God. We start thinking that we're going to persecute people and bring them into church. And we forgot where Jesus was along the road. And he has to get our attention. And he has to say, why are you fighting against me? Why are you fighting against me? Your job is to reconcile people to me. You're wrestling against the devil. You're wrestling against the powers, the principalities, the forces, all the thoughts, the negativity, the anger, the frustration, the backbiting, all of the things our culture loves to do and all the things that are in our hearts that we love to do. I pulled you out of that culture. And that's why I love what he says. He says in, in, later on in these verses, he says, I, he picked me up. He says, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting, but rise and stand up on your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness. And that's in verse 16, a servant and a witness to the things which you have seen me and to those for which I will appear to you. And that's what God does. When we found out we were a sinner, when we found out that we were having a hard time when we, when we see all this stuff happening, when we're warring against God, he was sending people to reconcile us to him. And when he got our attention, he said to us, he said, no, I see that you're sin. And when you're on your knees before God and you say, God, forgive me for being a sinner, he picks you up and he says, you know what? I just want you to be a servant. I have something for you. I want you to be my witness. And so Paul has realized something fundamental in this court system. What he's realized is that he, through his testimony and through his life and through all the conflict and controversy, what he's realized is to singularly focus on the kingdom of heaven. That he realized that this, Paul's not on trial here. The, everyone else is on trial before God. 
And Paul is the one that knows that because he was on trial before God and he took the plea bargain. And Jesus took our punishment and Paul is sitting there trying to tell King Agrippa, you need to take this plea bargain. I love you. I don't want bad things to happen to you. I know you've killed my friends. I know you've killed people. I killed people too. I killed Christ. The things I did caused Christ to die. And so now my job is to be a reconciler. When, when the pressures are going and I'm focused on me and I'm not getting everything I want, God's like, that's not my kingdom. That's not my way. I picked you up to be my witness and my servant. And so I think that it's, as, we, as we start to think about all the things that we go through in life and we start to feel like we're in this court of public opinion and we go out to argue the truth of God, I think there's a few things that we need to keep in mind. And just to keep our focus clean and clear. And so as we go through these four things, I just want you to think about when you're on social media, when you're talking to your church, when you're talking to your neighbors, when you're talking to the people that are around you, when you're contemplating whether you want to go to this church or another church, I just want you to keep these four things in mind. Are, number one, are you acting as if God is watching? You see, God was watching this procedures. They pull out this poor man in chains, and he's standing there before this pomp and circumstances and all this royalty and all this stuff. But you know, Paul wasn't on trial. They were on trial before God. And I think sometimes we go through our life and we walk around and we think, you know, nobody's watching, but God's watching. God's seeing the interactions. He's judging the situation. He knows. And so sometimes it's just so easy for us to forget that God is there and he's aware of the situation and to act according to that. Number two, are you concerned with what God would be concerned with for, for at that time? So Paul is standing there. It's really easy for him to get tired, angry, and frustrated, all this stuff. And he could be worried about his own rights. And instead, he's worrying about what God wants to do and what's, what is right. It's really easy to fight for our rights and forget to do what is right. And so I just want to say, are, are we concerned with what God would be concerned with wherever we go? And do we need to stop a little and pause and pray, God, be with me so I don't get frustrated? Number three, do we humbly remember what we used to be before God met us with the truth? When we're arguing with someone and we want to persuade them to our truth, it doesn't matter if it's the gospel or just a principle. All truth belongs to God. When you're arguing over principles, when you're arguing over anything, whether it's academic or anything, remember, God created everything. All truths belong to Him. You're trying, our job is to persuade people towards God and His, and His truths. And we do that humbly because we got to remember where we came from, what we used to be, that we were ignorant. There's always something that we didn't know. We didn't have God in us, and God still loved us. And number four, like Paul, are you being a servant and a witness for Christ, even with your enemies? And I think that's really the key here today, is to remember that when we're going through all these things. That like Paul, even when people are angry and mad that you're not wrestling against them, you're wrestling against the principalities, against the, the, the schemes of the devil, the things behind them, the thoughts, the ideas, the sins. That's what you're fighting. You're not fighting them. You're trying to save them from those things. That's what we're here for, trying to convince them that God is ready and willing to serve them. So I think in closing, I just want to think this one verse inside, because I think this, all of these voices are coming, and who should I listen to, and who should I please? There's one person that you should set your eyes on, and one thing you should focus on, and it's right here in Matthew 6, 33 through 34. And I know we've heard this a hundred times, but it's the hardest thing to practice. 
It says, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We want to seek first the kingdom of God. Seek it first in every situation. And it's not just the gospel, it's just our attitude, our approach, and bringing righteousness, and bringing love, and bringing kindness, and bringing the fruits of the Spirit to everyone that's involved. We're here about the kingdom business, and if we bring just a little bit of kingdom to this world, even in a dark world, that's what God shines through and does incredible things. And so that's what I would hope that we would do, that when we feel those pressures, and we feel those stresses, and we start to get anxious, that we ask ourselves, Lord, where are you in this mess? And we focus in on you, and he says, I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm sufficient for your day, and I'm sufficient for your troubles. Just seek me out. And I think when we do that, we'll be able to deal with it, all of the stress that the court of public opinion actually causes us. Thank you, guys. I just want to pray in closing. Oh, dear God, it's, there's so many things that people are going through. There's so many struggles. There's so many lives that are being affected. We worry about our governors. We pray for our police. We pray for our disadvantaged groups that are hurting. We pray for just all the conflict within any given church, whether we should open or whether we should close. What should we do? I'm, not, I'm mad at this guy. I'm mad at that guy. And in all of our frustration, Lord, let us remember that we are the kingdom, that we are your servants, and we are your witnesses. And how we respond and how we react is how the world is going to respond and how the world is going to react. When they look at us, they're going to see you. And we want to represent you in the best light, like Paul. Let Paul be one of our heroes that we seek to strive for, Lord, that we learn to be content in all situations, God. And we thank you for every opportunity, even amongst the worst situations, to present your living gospel and to present it and see lives changed and lives grow because we're about your kingdom and not this one, Lord. Thank you for every opportunity in the good and the bad. We thank you this day in Jesus' name. Amen.